You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Today, Lewis and I are doing something that we don't actually like doing. So we're going to do a tongue-in-cheek, which is to make predictions about what's going to happen. Um, Lewis, why, don't, why do we hate predictions? I mean, if you have a head and you've read anything about experts and people who sell their expertise... Uh, you know, it's all a bunch of BS. Um, and I think just philosophically, you and I are kind of on the tinkerer side. We see ourselves more as, hey, we're trying this. We're in love with the craft. Um, it may work. It may not. Um, and yeah, we have imperfect knowledge about the world. So it's kind of a totally opposite point of view from, you know, those wizards out there. Uh, or so-called wizards who are saying, I know that everything about this, you know, these are the 10 things that are happening in 2023. So basically, these are the 10 things that we're totally making up for you today that may or may not happen in 2023, but we may get lucky with some of them. And then we'll sell this and we'll be in the major publications saying we predicted X. Right. I mean, you, you're totally going to, the things that will happen, you're totally going to claim as, yeah, that's something I saw coming. And the things that aren't going to happen, we're going to go like, well, look, predictions are never accurate. These things are, these things are just, you know. You're too honest, Mike. I was just planning on saying prediction, what prediction? And then I like, <laughs> WhatsApp you frantically, like, pull down the podcast episode, pull it down. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, here's our uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek predictions for 2023. We've got them divided into categories. We've got hot takes, warm takes, wild predictions. What are you betting on? And what would we're, we're, if you were a frontline fundraiser with a large budget or a small budget, um, where would you actually put your money on the line? Uh, what will thrive and what will die? So let's just let's just start with hot takes. What are what are your hot takes, Louis? Okay, my main hot take is kind of personal. Um, I'm in India right now, and I'm having the most delicious chai tea, which actually means tea tea, because chai means tea in Indian, um, in the world, and it's hot, and it's warm, and it's everything you could, you could dream for. Uh, but honestly, my hot take is donors, especially ultra-high net worth individuals, major principal donors, will not stop giving unless the actual operation scales down, the fundraising operation scales down, but they right. will want more privacy around their giving. Okay, say more about that. They, they'll want more privacy as in they don't want to be acknowledged. They don't want people to know how much they gave. They, they would rather so, do that behind closed doors. Yeah, and let me tell you where this supposed insight comes from. Um, my career has developed mostly in a boom market. It may not feel like that for philanthropy, but the economy was going very, you know, strong for yeah. my for the bigger part of my career. Um, when I started out, because 
I'm that annoying person that's always asking questions. And I was at Lincoln Center. I was asking people how it was to fundraise through the last, through the 08 recession. And that was their answer to me. It was our corporations, our major donors did not um, want to stop or reduce their giving, really. Some of them maybe even increased it because we had good opportunities. We had a good case. It was the 50th anniversary. So you can, you can have initiatives and people will still react to them. But they didn't want the public recognition, the big gala that everybody could see. Um, you know, they were worried about the perception of them still gotcha. making those gifts in uh, an environment, uh, you know, a kind of a, a weak economic environment. Right. Yeah. After they just laid off a thousand staff, um, there's an announcement of a, of a big gift or something. Yeah. I mean, there's okay. So now I'm in India. There, that it literally just happened. So um, there's a huge educational technology company called Baiju, and if anybody saw the World Cup, they had an ad there, um, the Soccer World Cup, and they laid off a large amount of people, several thousand employees. And the next day, they announced that they were sponsoring the World Cup and um, had paid for like the Lionel Messi Prime sponsorship shop uh, slot. So that's like exactly what you were talking about. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's that's a good hot take. I I buy into that. Awesome. I'll take credit if it happens. That's good. <laughs> um, all right. Mm. Here's my hot take. What's yours? What's yours, Mike? Your turn. Here's my hot take. Um, uh, hot take as in like unlikely to happen, but um, I think 2023 is going to be the year of content um, where nonprofits take content seriously and where they worry more about the substance of content and bringing people along than, you know, they used to pay like $10,000 for a video for a gala of gala it was like a five minute or 10 minute video highly polished produced lots of b-roll it was shown once and then never again i think 2023 is the year some nonprofits go go to drive to survive model um which is just like ongoing behind the scenes um kind of their own youtube mini show um, this is happening a bunch on TikTok. I also have a, I mean, we'll have a prediction later about TikTok. I think TikTok is going to zero. Um, that's another hot take. But because um, I, I, I just think it'll get banned. But um, on, on TikTok, these shows are becoming massively popular. Um, and the same with on YouTube. I shared before on this podcast how I, I didn't grow up around sailing. I have zero interest in sailing. But uh, the founder of Oracle created a new sailing league, which is um called sale gp and they 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 put out a youtube series like drive to survive it's ongoing they follow the different teams around youtube feeds it to me i got really into it now i watch sale gp for some weird reason um because i'm invested in the characters and in the teams right um so <laughs> I, I i would love to see a nonprofit do this in 2023 it's just create their own nonprofit grand prix yeah that's what we need <laughs> But just, honestly, just, okay, so talking about trends, um, I'm kind of skeptical, and I think that's why it's a hot take, because content marketing has been around for so long, and how much did nonprofits adopt? You know, uh, very little. Yeah. But um, 
you know, we are seeing some people start to, uh, you, you know, embrace this. So I, I'm with you. Let's that it would be, I think it would be good. And this is a, a funny thing, Mike, it would be good for the sector um, in general. So if you're out there and you're thinking about taking these ideas to your boss, please do. Mike and I are behind you. Um, there needs to be a much better, more positive public discourse. Like YouTube needs to have more videos about nonprofits doing amazing stuff to feed mm. to people like Mike. So he gets hooked onto them, you know, instead of his little baby boats. Right. <laughs> little baby boats. Wow. That hurt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a serious sport, Lewis. It's a serious sport. Um, all right, uh, warm takes like things are very likely to happen. Um, what's what's your warm take? Warm take. Uh, I mean, my perspective has always tried to get out of the year-to-year -year grind. Um, so. I focus a lot on like big trends that I think are going to be with us for a while. Um, so I think those are going to continue if, if not accelerate. Mm -hmm. So related to content, like you just prognosticated uh, trust. And I think that the content that will come out in the, in, in the public sphere will be kind of negative in general, you know, every time, Nowadays, every time we hear about a nonprofit, it's negative. It yeah. didn't use that didn't happen in the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, it just wasn't like that. So that's my I think that's that's my warm take. We're going to see more stories that are just slightly negative about philanthropy in general, skeptical about philanthropists and their intent. Mm -hmm. And that's going to keep happening and not accelerate. Yeah, that's a good that's a good good warm take. Um, so warm take is what is what we think is very likely to happen. So um, all right, so you're you're saying <clears throat> basically that news around philanthropy is not going to get any better. It's going to be mostly focused on the scandals, um, mostly focused on people doubting the intent of oftentimes larger donors, major donors, um, or, exactly. or even, or and, even the intent of charities. And, and continuing this trend of equating philanthropy with, you know, Bezos, Mackenzie Scott, you know, just right. equating philanthropy means mega donors, which all of us who work in the sector, and especially those who are with us on this podcast today, kind of just viscerally know that it's not true. All right. Um, so my warm take is that austerity is coming for fundraisers. Um, I just think we're going to see slim down fundraising budgets for a little while. And um, if not slimmed down, then no further investment, um, no, no mini venture capital sort of thing in your nonprofit where you could take some risk capital and take 10 to 15% of your budget just to try stuff. I don't think that's going to happen. People are just going to go with what they know and what is working. So for some people, direct mail is working. They're just going to be like, that's all we're going to keep doing. And we might cut a lot of it because postage is going up. Um, others, like whatever is working for you, I think people will just will just revert back to what is working, hold on tightly to that and not take any risks, which is unfortunate. 
we had an episode on this podcast about about um the the coming recession and the opportunities for fundraising um and how it's like an amazing opportunity when everybody slows down it's an amazing opportunity to actually invest and do something um that you haven't tried before but I, yeah i think that's just that's what we're looking at and you need to have some oxygen to do that too right so you yeah. need to have that slack which nonprofits so often lack i'm with you i think in fact i think you're um not being strong enough in your statement i'm already hearing for about uh, shops that are are being asked to cut their budget sometimes even significantly i'm hearing about uh, um universities stopping their giving day programs because they don't have people to run it. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting a, a lot of information and maybe this is a time Mike to announce our tip line. So if your nonprofit is going through a situation like this, uh, reach out to Lewis or Mike on LinkedIn and we'd love to hear about it. Uh, this will be kept 100% confidential. I'm kind of joking, but in general, please, please do always reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know what? Okay, here's a hot take. Uh, a a good nonprofit podcast would be like a confidential, like a like a line where people can call in and like complain about their board or their boss or their shop or their fundraising operations or their organization, completely anonymous. And then we would like change their voice but put it up as a podcast, um, and we could all take solace in the fact that everyone else is in the same boat that we are. That that's that sounds like a genius media strategy, Mike Dorkson. I think we I think we can actually maybe um, just uh, read some of the comments if people are uncomfortable with the robo voice idea <laughs> and commiserate. I, I, I find I, I find so, it strangely soothing sometimes, especially in, in our sector. So, all right. <laughs> So let's, let's move on to wild predictions. I don't know how these are different than hot takes. I don't quite know what what uh, what our our line of thinking was here. Um, but wild predictions. This is like a wild prediction. This is like so likely not to happen. But if it does, you'll be a genius for having predicted it. So um, what, what what have you got? Oh my goodness. Um... There's going to be five more mega donors who put up a website like Mackenzie Scott did and um, publicize their intent to be philanthropic in, you know, with a certain approach. Uh, how about that? All right. So five new mega donors who are going public with their philanthropy um, who don't want to stay private. Um, so going against your own hot take here, Lewis, you think five people are going to buck the trend and we just discovered another expert prediction technique. You predict one thing and the opposite thing. So you can never be wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that's like, yeah, it's like betting on, on, on both people in the fight. Right. Um, some people Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. Um, all right, so my wild prediction is related to NFTs, and I think we're going to see NFTs as a use case for smart contracts between donors and nonprofits. 
So mega donors okay, and, and nonprofits. Um, so um, NFTs without getting into it, because I don't know if anybody really understands NFTs. One of my main frustrations is that some of the brightest minds in the world are working on like, how can we make a picture of a dancing monkey? Like how can we make that JPEG uh, encrypted and worth a lot of money when there's like, <laughs> when those smart yeah, minds, how can we get more food to people's tables? No, there's yeah, like solving really like juicy problems out there. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think the most, um, the most impressive thing about the NFT technology is what it allows for smart contracts. So, what a donor might do is they might create a smart contract using an NFT um, where they they sell an asset um, as an NFT. And in perpetuity, a percentage of all money that that, that asset will make will go to a nonprofit. And okay. nobody can change I, that. I thought you were going in another direction, but I, I like that. Yeah, um, and like no, that, that's like unchangeable, right? It's like it's... Um, that's the thing about the NFT is that like in perpetuity, any usage, like it gets traded, it gets used, whatever, like people are selling houses using NFT contracts, but um, like a percentage will forever go to charity. Um, so I think I would love to see more of that. I, I think that's a completely wild prediction. That's not likely to happen for a long time. But um. So my take on NFTs is that NFTs make possible the securitization of everything and anything. Mm -hmm. So you can turn, and that already happens, right? It's just, it was hard to create the instrument and it was hard to create the trust. So if I say, hey, I'm going to go out and sell shares in myself, in my future income. Like who's going to believe me? Uh, you know, they'll think it's a scam. But with an NFT and with blockchain technology, you can say, there's, you don't have to trust me. There's going to be an immutable record of this agreement that we got into. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it takes away that element of, of, hey, trust me. Hey, trust the stock market. Hey, trust the government that this, that this contract between us, uh, you know, yeah. um, contract in a very, like, wide sense. Um, so that, th that this contract is 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 valid so when you said smart contracts i thought okay so now there's going to be um kind of like an impact investing yeah where nonprofits are going to say we're going to put five warm meals on somebody's table we're going to track the whole process um kind of you know from farm to table uh through an through the blockchain you're going to be able to see where it is at all time. And maybe like the contract is if we don't meet that goal, uh, you get your donation back or I, I don't know, there's something in there, right. um, you know, all. So there could be all and that that would effectively kind of sidestep all the trust issues that we're seeing, because right now you make your gift, maybe your modest gift. And essentially, you have to trust a nonprofit that. Um, that they're going to do what they're promising and what they say they do. Um, an NFT could solve that in a kind of weird way. That's almost yeah. more transactional. So I don't know how to feel about that, but I think sure. that's what came to my mind when you said, this is my wild prediction. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about that specific thing on LinkedIn before, and I'll get into, I'll quickly get into the use case where I think that might happen first. Um, 
but like I'm, I'm Canadian. We just grow up with like um, this Marshall McLuhan quote drilled into our minds, which is like the medium is the message. And um, if we think about like whatever, like like blockchain, Bitcoin, NFT, that whole Web 3.0 sort of world. If we think about that is like, well, what is the message of that actual medium, which is all about, um, like you said, everything is secure, everything is trackable, and everything is decentralized. Um, maybe that message is that people don't trust institutions. And so this is a way, you know, like, forget about what the blockchain actually does. This message is, this comes out of a general fear that why would I trust somebody to, to why would I give money to somebody and trust them to do it? Um, because they might not do it. And so the same um, now again to use case where I think this will happen first, Lewis, which yeah, is yeah. direct giving. Um, so there's a bunch of organizations that say the best way to help people in need is to just give them cash. And they facilitate basically direct transfer of money. Um, right. And Google Google actually sponsored a huge study in a village um, somewhere like in a small um rural African village where they tracked uh, people who just got the cash with no strings attached and then they had a control group um, and I think it was a 10-year study and we should probably maybe do an episode on that at some point but I think that use I think in the in charity world that use case that might start with with NFTs and blockchain first which is like direct giving to somebody else not necessarily to a nonprofit. Maybe there's a nonprofit that facilitates that direct giving, but like me. Well, there's an administrator like, and yeah, maybe like part of the contract has administration fees, but it's all totally transparent. It's yep. individually trackable, which is donors' obsession. And we know that. You know, the, the, one of the most successful digital marketing appeals from UNICEF has been and still is the journey of a dollar. Yeah. Yep. Um, per one of their, you know, digital marketing leaders. So it's, it makes that solves for all of this. Yeah, and it makes a ton of sense for micro lending nonprofits like a Kiva model, right? Like um, being able to invest in somebody's small business in a in a developing market, and actually knowing how that money was invested kind of gamifies the experience a little bit too, because you're gonna be you're gonna be checking all the time, right? Um, so yeah. So Wild it's prediction. like your Domino's pizza tracker just for making positive change in the world. Yep. Okay. Love this. Okay, so Mike, you're full of hot talks, hot takes, warm takes, wild predictions. What are you actually betting on? That's I want to know where you're putting your money personally. Or I mean yeah. business wise. Sure. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think this would be the same whether I was running BuildGood or whether I was running a fundraising shop. So um, I'm putting my money on organic video, um, YouTube, and kind of like smaller community type stuff. Um, and like learning, you know, learning community like environments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's, and I think that's probably what I would do as well if I was a, if I was a fundraiser. Um, yeah, we, I mean, you and I are gonna, our next episode is all about organic video and how we tried 
how we gauge the interest for that in, in the nonprofit sector and how that went. Um, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to tease it too much, but, um, but that's what I would do. I, I know a lot of people aren't quite there yet. Um, how about you, yeah, Lewis? Totally. And I know some of our listeners are totally in shock now, thinking, oh my goodness, Mike and Lewis actually have uh, two episodes of the podcast recorded in advance. I thought <sighs> they just winged it every week. And please rest assured that this is a well thought out editorial process. <laughs> we... um, what am I investing in? Uh, I mean, I plan to continue some of the investments I did and risk taking that I did when I left my full time employee salaried position to go full on in community building. Um, in sharing uh, the process, uh, you know, like you call it building in public, Mike, um, and in in the power of that to, to create trust and with the confidence that the vast amounts of trust that you can efficiently create that way lead to good things. In the case of nonprofits, I've seen it happen and I've done it. It leads to donations, often very significant donations if you have a sophisticated major gifts program. In the case of consulting and service providing, um, it leads to better ideas, better information that lets you create better products and services um, that lets you then uh, do more of you know do more of, of those of those products and services. Yeah. Um, so that's the bet there. Uh, some of the ways I'm increasing my bet this year is by investing in more structure around this. Okay, so we're kind of in a wild west of community building. There's no um, framework that is commonly accepted. Uh, yes, everybody talks about content, but how exactly do you operationalize that? You know, okay, everybody can create a video on their webcam. Uh, how do you go from that to having a constant stream of uh, social media uh, appropriate or social media suited content that stimulates people um, and that is kind of pervasive. So just today I posted about some studies that um, the, the company I'm, I'm working with, AlmaBase, is doing to understand networks. Um, so, you know, overall and everything I'm doing, I'm going to keep investing in that. And I'm going to be, I think 20, this year, 2023 is going to be the, the year of building processes and discovering processes to do more of that more efficiently. Right. Yeah. Shout out to two previous episodes, the power of process, which was a little bit about this. Um, and also yeah. the, um, the nonprofit operating system that we talked about, um, which is I, that that episode that we did and it you know it was featuring your approach to process um and sops and the you have a whole system um was has been very influential uh to me i've um, i'm interviewing uh the ceo of a tool that lets you build sops called scribe shortly we're going to have mike present in our community in the donor participation project later on in the year uh, so talking about bets, operational efficiency, as long as your main goal is kind of aligned where you think things are going, you know, it, it's a good investment. 
we, I yeah. So if if we're looking at your bets and my bets, which are sort of similar, um, so when I talk organic video, YouTube, and learning community, that's all related to 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 building community and audience. Um, the thing is, um, this is going to be hard to describe in audio, but if you can if you can think of a chart and you've got like two curves, um, one is an uh, a curve that starts at the bottom and then goes up and to the right. And then the other one actually starts at the top left and goes down as it moves to the right. And at some point, those two curves intersect. But one of those curves is perceived cost and time. Um, and that's the one that starts very high. Like, it seems like it's a lot of cost and a lot of time investment. And then the other curve is value, uh, which starts very low. And it seems like, you know, well, it's a lot of cost investment, a lot of time for very low value. But as time goes goes on, those two curves cross. And all of a sudden, the value that you're getting is immensely higher than the amount of time and money you're putting into, into it. And that's why I think it is, it seems like such a bet. Because um, building community, building processes, everything around that, there is some immediate payoff. But a lot of it comes in in future iterations and building on it, right? And and like compounding, compounding progress. Another issue that has also um, inspired something I'll, I'll share in a second is finding people with the right skill sets. Lots of fundraisers that I'm speaking with right now, and we're running a couple of surveys in the donor participation project. Lots of fundraisers are saying they have trouble finding people full stop and also finding people with the right skill set to compound that we're talking about a different skill set than your maybe traditional fundraising one-on-one you know approach or uh, one-to-many mostly direct response by mail um, approach so um, you know that's a place where I think I'm able to contribute value to get this all, you know, put this all together. Um, I help some shops uh, with a service that I call annual fund in a box. So I kind of help them kickstart a whole, whole shop really um, to keep, keep the lights on and to grow and kind of use all this knowledge that Mike and I are talking about every week that I'm hearing about that our communities are telling us about and operationalize that for nonprofits. Yeah. So dude, by the way, I don't know if I told you, but that's such a good offer. Um, like the thing that you go in and you install this thing and it's a system and in a few weeks they're up and running and it's tied into like a project management system. It's tied into deadlines. It's tied into some key KPIs. Um, it's got the, the trainings. Like I've seen the system that you go and install. I think it's it's such a good offer for so many shops um, where who A, can't find a person to run annual giving or quite frankly, we we just talked about austerity coming for nonprofits. Um, like, oh yeah, doing something like this makes total total sense, and that way you get back uh, a lot of time to do the things that only you can do uh, in house. Um, all right, Lewis, what will thrive? What do you think is just it's 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 it's, it's going to work in twenty twenty three? Hmm. 
That's a very good question. Um, let me think about this for a minute. And here's where, where people can see this is totally live. Uh, I agree with some of your notes here, but I'll, I'll let you share those those thoughts. I think uh, our donors are still going to be behind us uh, as not as as people. They're still going. So you know what's going to thrive is the human spirit, um, and those nonprofits who acknowledge that and focus their efforts on sustaining that through a, maybe a tough time, a time where they have less staff are going to be able to do well, maintain themselves or do well. Those nonprofits that make decisions for their donors, oh, donors don't want to give now. Oh, yada, yada. Um, let's not ask them. Um, you know, let's stop talking with them. Let's stop, you know, um, mm -hmm. will not do so well. So what's going to thrive is the human spirit. Yep. Nice. Um, what way to bet? Way to bet on the most universal truth possible, so that you are totally right in the end. Yeah, exactly. Generalities. Um, <laughs> saying one thing and the opposite in one sentence. I mean, I I come from a family that has five economists. Uh, so my you know my father and four of his brothers went into yeah. economics. So if I don't know how to say things that don't make a lot of sense and then, you know, pretend it's scientific and be right, if, if I can't do that, I don't, you know, I, they didn't, <laughs> I wasn't raised right. All right. Um, I, I got some economist jokes that after, after we turn off the mics here, uh, we, we, we can get into, <laughs> I've, I've been saving them for a special moment. Um, <laughs> I'm trembling. Okay, you have, as always, Mike, really practical uh, things that you think are going to do well in 2023. I think events are back, but I think they're back in a different way. And to be clear, I'm okay. not saying I want events to be back. Um, but what I am excited about is that I think the kinds of events that are emerging are a lot cooler than galas and golf tournaments and the stuff that we used to have. So um, I think it's a net positive. I think micro events and tours are going to thrive in 2023. I think people I mean, want it's to that frontier where you, it's that exact frontier where it's still kind of scalable and it's still with a group of people. It's not one-on-one, -on -one, but it's not this, you know, talking head on stage with an right. audience of 500 people, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah it, it's participatory. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people will recognize yeah. that language from a previous episode. It's participatory. Um, it is, uh, it, ca it can be recurring, but I think people mm -hmm. just want to gather again. And yeah. I think, I think what crowd limits, you know, for a while in this weird COVID stage, you could have like 15 people in a room or 20, but not 21. And like what we had all these weird rules, at least where I live, we did. And yeah. so we saw nonprofits lean into that and they're like, okay, fine. If we can have 20 people in a room, instead of having a gala, we're going to do like 10 little events of 20 people. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, these things are a lot cooler than having 200 people in a room. Like the interaction is is up, engagement is up, a lot more intimate. Um, gifts are 
larger. Um, people walk away being a lot more invested in the mission. So I, I think that was, that's been a good thing. So I think micro events and tours are, are back. Um, there's something, um, if you're a nonprofit that offers a service in the community, like you don't just have offices, like you actually like do stuff. Um, there is something you should lean into and it's a concept known as labor illusion, which is basically okay. we value things higher when we see the effort behind them. So this goes back to like CLGP, Drive to Survive. The reason Drive to Survive created a whole legion of F1 fans because it was a labor illusion. You now saw all the behind the scenes of what it takes to actually put on a race. And all of a sudden you value that a lot more, right? This is why beer breweries, yeah. like microbreweries, this is why they give you a tour. Um, because in like a sea of undifferentiated microbreweries, uh, what will make you love a place is you took the tour, you saw what went into the process, you bought into the story, um, and now you're going to buy, uh, you have a positive experience associated with it, but you also have this thing of labor illusion. Like you, man, a lot of work went into this, this artisanal craft handcrafted small batch beer that i'm drinking right um, yeah mike you know yeah henry made this beer henry with three kids and who, who <laughs> likes golf i don't know or who likes whatever yeah made this beer and i know that guy yeah yeah and henry with an i not with a y because you mm. know we're quirky um but okay but, so mike I had a boss who told me donors don't need to know about the sausage making was she wrong yeah Okay. Did, did you want me to expand on that? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, well, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> horrible. Uh, yes, please do in a second for everybody because you can't uh, read what Mike is referring to. When he talks about labor illusion, it's labor with O-U-R. Um, so it immediately makes it sound more sophisticated. So, this only I mean, works yeah, but yes, why was she wrong? Canada. Yeah, it's only for labor in the UK and Canada. It's O-U-R in our planning notes here. Um, dude, you asked me a yes or no question. I just answered yes or no. But I, I, can, I, can, I can expand a little bit. Um, some donors don't care about the sausage making. And okay. other donors care about sausage making. And some don't know they care about the sausage making. And some think they care about the sausage making. But maybe they don't. It's just like... Um, what a mess. It is a whole mess. If you have a sausage making factory, like offer tours and then let people take you up on that offer. And the people who, who take a tour will either be disgusted by the process and will never want to eat sausages again. <laughs> I grew up on a farm, so I, um, it's all, um, you know, the, the natural world is, is but, but some people can't stomach that, right? But um, if you, if you, if you have, if you can, if you can do tours of the work that you do, highly encourage it. And, and I think it's going to thrive. I think it's going to do well. We, I used to work at a homeless shelter and we invited, uh, we did these lunch and learn sessions and we did them on a third floor. And um, we got back this note one time from these two elderly ladies and they're like, ah, we just had a lovely lunch. Thank you so much. Um, this is perfect. And I was like, oh, man, they didn't come to the event, though. Like, they had RSVP'd, but they didn't come. So we followed up. They just walked into, like, the lineup to get the meal. 
<laughs> in the soup kitchen and they just like sat down with everyone else and they just had a meal and they're like ah oh, this was this was lovely um and then beautiful you yeah. know, we, we try to have all these like sanitized experiences for donors, but uh, the closer you can bring them to the frontline work, I think that's going to work really well. So that's one. Number two, I think just like any back to basic stuff, I think is going to work well. Um, what up the do you phone. mean by back to basic? Really basic, like asking donors to help you with something, thanking donors for that thing, reporting back on that thing. That's it. Uh, Picking up the phone. Not everybody likes to be called by the phone. But a lot of people do. Um, just, you know, uh, we talked about crypto, but forget about all the shiny stuff. I think just the the basic fundraising basics that seem really obvious when somebody says it, um, but that maybe we've forgotten along the way. And then lastly, just like gifts of assets, I think are going to be it's going to thrive in 2023, especially as cash flow is maybe a little bit uncertain for some major donors, um, but they're sitting on a lot of assets, right? So gifts of stock, security, shares, um, gifts from DAFs, uh, anything like that. If you can have those conversations, I think I think those kinds of gifts will thrive. That makes a lot of sense. And so often... Um, we can do a lot to facilitate or to insert the idea of gifts of assets um, or to just make it easy for our donors to give through their DAF or through you know other mechanisms. So um, that makes a lot of sense. You have a great stat here, Mike, about companies that do tours and the effect that that has on purchase intention. And it relates to what we talk about all the time, which is, yeah. you know, engage, engagement first and then giving mind share before wallet share, et cetera. What's that stat? Yeah. Yeah. So the labor illusion thing and the tours thing is not just like theory. It's like it's been studied and researched. Um, there is a study um, that I linked in the planning doc here. Um, basically, they found that engaging um, that when a company takes somebody in a tour, and I believe Guinness was part of this study. Um, okay. It boosts purchase intention by 32%. So there you go. We've seen, I've seen this in nonprofit data where the correlation between length of relationship and intensity of relationship is very clearly related to uh, size of largest gift. So, yeah, folks, this is uh, we don't know. I mean, we, this is science. We don't know if this trend will be true forever. But right now, everybody who's studying it is seeing the same things. Um, yeah. Folks that are looking at AI and, you know, trying to correlate a million data points, they find engagement is a very strong predictor of giving. You know, that's yeah. I've I mean, I've taken people on tours to different countries to see the project that they were supporting. Um, which is a, it's a lot of effort, but it's also, it's a small group though, but those experiences are life changing for some people. And then the moment they're there and they see it and they see this thing that they help put together in this project and they see the, the kids and the families who are affected, uh, who are benefiting from it, all of a sudden they go like, 
yeah, your success is now tied to my success and my success is tied to your success. Like I'm all in, right? Um, so it's so that you, you, you do the, the identity thing, you know, they're, they're now their identity is tied to their support. Yeah. Um, Charity uh, Water does that. Does a great job there, right? Yeah, they do a really great job at that. Um, lastly, um, what will die? What is what is going? Okay, talking you? about shiny things. Yeah. What's, what, I, what's I'm going, going to you? kind of agree with you. What was the name of that platform that was audio FTX? only? No. Um, no, that platform that was that social media platform that was audio only, and everybody was talking about. Pardon? Clubhouse. Yes, Clubhouse. Okay, so my general philosophy is that when new ideas are not aligned with some of these long-term trends that we talk about often, it's very hard for them to sustain. So, for instance, social media is a trust-building environment. It's easier to generate trust with video. So if, you, if, it's, if you're just doing audio, um, it's harder, uh, you know. So uh, that, was my, that was my bet on that. So I, uh, I, I posted on LinkedIn when it was a, a full rage uh, why I, I tried it and I wasn't super crazy about it. Um, but, uh, I think that's the direction that we're going in. So trust is a super strong lead indicator. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, LinkedIn is the most trusted social media site. Um, which I think is part of the reason why Mike, you and I like it. Um, so all this shiny stuff, and you have some, you know, I'm going to be redundant in what you're going to say in a second. Uh, crypto. Not what we talked about earlier about the mechanism of crypto blockchain as a way to create instruments that either sidestep trust or help build more trust. Right. That, that I think has a lot of promise. But crypto as a, uh, you know, bored monkey uh, mm. platform uh, that's worth millions of dollars or some social media personality that does these horrifyingly ugly pictures of himself um, and and then uh, sells those. So all of that is going away, going down the toilet. Yeah. I'm not so sure about TikTok and you have, we, we may have a disagreement there. So go, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think TikTok is, uh, to be clear, I'm not a TikTok hater. I, I think what the platform has achieved is quite amazing. I think the UI of it is is really amazing. I think it's very, very scary. Um, I don't... So I'll go into my personal opinion, but then I'll go into why I think it's, it's going to die. Um, I don't like that it is so good at serving us entertainment where we don't even have to touch the screen anymore. We just sit there and this thing takes over and it serves you everything that you want. And like, before you know it, two hours are over. Um, and I know that there's a lot of communities on TikTok. There's like, there's like, a, you know, people are like, 
looking like 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 therapists or sharing breathing techniques. Like I, I know there's a lot of wholesome educational like uplifting stuff on TikTok. Um, I don't like what it might in the long term do to the psyche in general, like what social media might do to the psyche of our culture and our kids and all of that. But I think why TikTok might go to zero is because I think it might get banned. I think the possibility is pretty high of it getting banned. And so I personally, if I was running a fundraising shop, wouldn't invest in TikTok. Um, I, I would I would invest in some other platforms first. I would probably invest a lot more in YouTube um, because I think mm-hmm. YouTube is, you know, quickly becoming a very, very respectable search engine. Um, like a lot of people YouTube stuff first before they Google stuff. Um, and there's just so many opportunities in, in nonprofit land on YouTube because nobody is doing a lot of stuff on there. So moving into video content, I think is smart doing it on TikTok only. I, I just personally think TikTok might get banned. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you about Twitter in a sec. But Mm -hmm. TikTok, I think the underlying principle, as in video, helps people make better connections Mm -hmm. than text or or just audio. I think that's, you know, that's solid. How are people attacking TikTok? They're, you know, they're trying to... Uh, diminish people's trust in it for probably sound reasons, right? I mean, everything I hear sounds um, like it makes a lot of sense. But um, so it's interesting how people are going after the sausage making. Like the platform is amazing. It really works. So the end product is great. But look at how this is made. Um, is this something you want to be involved with? You know, so it's kind of like the anti-nonprofit. Yeah, right. Um, so, what do you think about Twitter? All right, personal opinion. Twitter. I, so I'm off Twitter. I had an account for a long time. I haven't, and and I didn't get off because of Elon. I've been off Twitter for like over a year or a year and a half. So, um, I actually am. I'm probably like. Um, if if I was an investor and I'm not, I'm not smart enough to be an investor. Like I I don't pick individual stocks. I just buy ETFs and like don't look at them ever. So I have no idea, right? So don't take this as. But I would be bullish on the fact that Twitter is going to be a serious major platform to contend with for years to come. I don't think it's going down. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm bullish on it, I guess, is what I'm, is what I, what I would say. Yeah. There you go. How about, Only how about time you? Word will tell. Um, so yeah, we, we need to, um, we're, we're close to the end of today's episode. It's, um, kind of, but, but wait, l- 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 long. what are your thoughts on Twitter? I, uh, uh, I'm curious. So I never enjoyed the quality of the conversation on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I could never make it work. Twitter was one of those platforms. I think I've shared this on the podcast too, where um, my amazing wife, when we started to go out, said, "Don't ever chat with me again. You're horrible. That you know that this just it, it, it reflects poorly on you." Twitter was that type of environment. I just couldn't <laughs> have a good conversation there with anybody. And I I was also seeing parts of people that were 
pretty ugly too. You know, it's like, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, I'm sure you're a beautiful human being. I don't need to see this part of you. So I just never used it. I, you know, probably a huge missed opportunity um, to, to get to know really, really interesting people. So um, I respectfully reserve the right to not really have an opinion. I mean, it may go well, it may not, I, I don't really know. So perfect. Um, what a horrible expert, no? <laughs> well, we we said at the beginning we hate predictions. Uh, I stand by it. It was a fun conversation, but um, the most important thing is like, what actions are you going to take today and consistently the day after and the day after and the day after to move your organization forward? And you know, forget about Twitter or crypto or any of this stuff. Um, it might happen. It might not. Um, at the end, do the things that you feel are right for your donors. Honestly, yeah. it's hard to go wrong that way. And most importantly, be react in a way, be reactive to your donors, not reactive to like what everybody's shouting at you inside your organization, but being adaptable and reactive to honestly, donors are telling us what they want. Um, let's just do more of what works and less of what doesn't is much easier said than done. Yeah. Love that. Do more of what works, do less of what doesn't. Um, and ask yourself, generally speaking, uh, do people want, you know, uh, for me to listen to them more or for me to listen to them less? Generally speaking, do people want uh, a better personal experience or a less personal experience? Like, like generally speaking, we can all be right on the big things, right? Um, like, yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Thanks, Liz. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and buildgood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible. 